there's a, a verse that I'm kind of clinging to. You know how sometimes, sometimes God gives you verses or, or certain things for certain times in your life? And one verse that I am kind of clinging to is found in um, Joshua chapter 3, verse 4. I think I have it here. Yeah, it says, it says this. And this isn't the old, old verse. This is kind of one of the statements that he makes in uh, Joshua chapter 3, verse 4. He says, Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. It's an interesting passage of Scripture, don't you think? I think that kind of resonates with a number of us. Because we find ourselves in a place that we have never, ever been before. And, and being in a place where you've never, ever been before can be an exciting thing. But sometimes it can be a hard thing. And um, I always like the challenge of doing something new. We all like the challenge of doing something new and perhaps forging ahead. But what happens if the situation doesn't look as exciting? What happens if, if the, the situation is tumultuous? You know, it hasn't really been going that well. You know, we're looking at the challenge and we're thinking, I don't know if I have what it takes to go ahead. Then we take a look and there's limitations and we're already drained from a long journey. We, we have been through a time over the last couple of years that no one in their lifetime has been through before. And so all of a sudden we find ourselves at the brink and we're thinking that everything would have went back to the way it was before. And all of a sudden we are coming to the realization that it isn't going to be like it was before. And so what do we do? We sit there and there are dark clouds ahead and, and we're trying to face challenges and we thought this challenge should have been gone a long time ago. As a matter of fact, I don't see any end to it. Someone once described it like this. I just have weak faith muscles. Isn't that interesting? I remember there was a situation that happened in my hometown where there were kind of there was a great big. It's called the Garden City Skyway. I come from St. Catharines, uh, Ontario area, and, and they have this skyway that goes over the Welland Canal, and they have these big lakers that uh, they, that go under it. So it has to be very high, and they were painting the underside of it, and the scaffolding gave way, and tragically, a few people fell to their death. But there were one or two that were able to somehow hang on to something under the bridge. And it took a couple of hours. Could you just imagine, you know, just hanging on for dear life? And eventually there were a few that were rescued. But you could tell that once they got off, once they were released and there was something that they could, they could just kind of put their feet on, that they, they could hardly even stand. They were just absolutely exhausted from the situation. And I find that sometimes faith can be that way. Sometimes we're just exhausted. We're just, I'm exhausted from hanging on, but yet all of a sudden I'm facing something that I don't know if I can come up against. The relationship that I'm in or the relationship of certain people I thought were going to be better is not better anymore. What do I do? The, the finances aren't what they used to be. The job is not so secure. The health problem doesn't seem to be going away. doesn't seem to be a solution Anytime, too, anytime soon, the, the anxiety I feel seems to be getting worse and worse. And it seems to me like the enemy has encamped himself in my backyard. And I don't know how to get rid of him or her or however you want to put it. This verse reminds me that I may be in a place and you might be in a place where you've never been before. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't been that way and in that place before. So this is something perhaps for someone who is here today, 
who finds himself in that position, you may not be where you thought you would be, but God knows exactly where you are. So what I want to talk about is advancement. And I want to share a passage from the book of Colossians. And I think it deals with the battleground for advancement going ahead. Now, you might be listening online. Uh, you might be here. And your view of spiritual battle might be different than mine. But I'll tell you one thing. I do believe in spiritual battle. I believe that there's an enemy, and the enemy does everything he can to hold us back. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about it all the time. It mentions in Ephesians chapter 6 that our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Peter basically says, be sober, be vigilant. The devil prowls around, seeking whom he may devour. In Corinthians, Paul basically says, we're not unaware of his devices. And so we have this thing. And the dilemma is this. This is what I have found in terms of spiritual battle. Is that many times the thing that we think is spiritual battle may not be. That we misunderstand what the battle is and where it's at. And then as a result, we underestimate the effect that the battle may have upon us and upon our families. And we underemphasize the power of God to deliver us. And therefore, we underutilize the power that's given to us. So let's read this passage. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Now, I'm going to have it temporarily up here. But hopefully, you can kind of open your Bibles. Or if you have your, your Bible app... Um, Turn to that, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. And you need to kind of stay there because I'm going to be kind of going back and forth to this passage of Scripture to kind of take a look at some of the deeper things that this passage has to offer. Now it says this, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Well, I don't see any spiritual battle in that whole thing. Well, bear with me. If you look a little bit deeper, you might see some things that are important for us to learn today. Um, I don't know if you've ever done a whole depth of study on some of the epistles or the letters that Paul writes to some of the cities that he has visited, but he has a pattern. Now, what happens many times is he gets into some of the deeper things of God to explain them, the love of God, the grace of God, and, and um, what that means for us, his character, his attributes, and the fact that because Jesus died on the cross for us, what that means for us Today, you see, one of the main battles, and if you, if you study deeper into the, some of the writings of Paul, he was talking against some of the hard things of that day. Gnosticism was one of the main things, which talked about the fact that you needed to do all these things. You needed to, to hurt your body somehow in some way, and that, that, that would somehow get you closer to God. And, and then there was a whole bunch of people who were getting saved, and they were just from every kind of paganism uh, that you could think of. And so he begins to do this because, because what happens was there was kind of a hybrid that was being created. Well, yeah, you need to serve Jesus, but you need to also observe this. 
And so what happens was there was this, this kind of smorgasbord that was happening. That I, I do want to serve Jesus, but I also want to incorporate this into my life. We see that a lot today, don't we? The new pluralism used to be that, you know, well, I'm, I'm Jewish and you're Christian and, uh, and you're Muslim or whatever. And, and so we all want to be able to get together and, and to be able to see each other's views. That was kind of the old pluralism. The new pluralism is this. I like this about Christianity. I like this about Buddhism. I like this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of form this hybrid for myself. And what Paul basically is saying a lot of times through his letters is this. You can't do that. Christianity combined with anything else, not Christianity, it ceases to become the gospel. And so he, he talks about these things for the first half of the book. And then all of a sudden, halfway through, in many of the books of, of the epistles, is this. You'll hear the word, therefore. In this case, it was since then. In the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, he's talking about all these things. And then he says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think to him be glory both now and forever. And then he says in verse 4, therefore, if this is true, live a life worthy of the calling. He does the exact same thing in Colossians. I'm hoping this isn't boring you. I think these are important things to understand. Since then, because of all these things, here's how we are supposed to live. And Paul, in essence, is talking about advancement. Going ahead, going forward. But if you do, you need to realize that there's some battles. I think that there's spiritual warfare. And it might not be the spiritual warfare that perhaps you have seen before. The first thing I think he talks about is the, the battle for our affection. I'm going to talk about the battle for our attention. And also the battle for our affiliation. The first one is a family matter. The second one is a focus matter. The third one is a future matter. So let's talk about them. Give me a couple minutes so I can break this down for you a little bit. The first one is this, the battle for our affirmation. The first thing he does, he goes to great lengths to remind us of who we are and what we have become since we asked Jesus to come in. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Your relationship has now changed. You may not have noticed that, but once you gave Jesus your heart, you gave him everything there has been a change in the situation within your life. He goes on in verse 3 even, uh, and, and he, says, he says, you died. You died and your life was now hidden with Christ in God. You see, you, see, you used to be dead to Christ. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, your situation is such that, that, that you need to know him because you are dead in your trespasses and sin. That's what the, what's the word of God says. But then when Jesus comes in and you give him absolute lordship, you become dead to the world. You become alive to Christ. And this is scattered throughout scriptures. You know, Romans, I think, I think it's Romans 8, 1. There's there, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's kind of seen. It's interwoven. It represents what baptism is all about. In February, we're going to be having a baptismal service. If you're interested in being baptized, come and talk to me afterwards or, or find someone on staff, and, and we will get you the application for that. If you have been a Christian 
for a number of years and you haven't been baptized, this is the opportunity to do it. But what he is talking about is, is represented that. You have been raised with Christ. You died and your life was now hidden with Christ in God. It is important to understand who you are in Christ. Do you really understand who you are? I know a number of years ago I gave this story. You know, as a pastor, you kind of try and find illustrations. But then after you've been here four years, you might hear one now and again for the second time. There was, a, there was an individual, and his, his name was Russell Christoph. And he was shopping one time, and he looks at a taster's choice uh, jar of coffee. He says, this guy looks familiar. I know I, I can't quite put it on, but I can't. Hey, this is me, he says. All of a sudden realizes that he sees his own picture on a, a, a thing of, of, of taster's choice, and he's lived in a different area, and he just said, hey, that's me. And then he begins to go back to about 20 years ago when he was doing some modeling and realized that that was the face from that. And he looks up the contract. He said, I never gave these guys commit, uh, permission. And so what he does is he talks to his lawyer and, and $15.6 million later, he gets a nice reward for that. The, mo- the model of the story is this. It's important to know who you are. Is it not? You were created in his image. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus. You have the spirit of God residing in you. You have an authority placed upon you by the living God. And in this shuffle that we have been through, I think sometimes we forget this. Because Satan will do everything that he can to keep you from fully realizing this. Because if you don't, you end up with a spiritual identity crisis. The lie is that Satan, that Satan is that although this is true, he wants to get you to operate although it isn't true. That we've been given riches and privilege and we still live like the slave in the basement. I remember reading a story, I can't remember the book or I would, would quote it. it. tells the story of a person who was, who was in a house and the, the parents treated him terribly put him in the basement, said, you can't come out of the basement, and just treated them horribly. And the authorities found out, and a new set of parents had come in, and these were wealthy parents who brought him into a new house, and he said, this whole house is for you. All the privileges, everything in the house belongs to you. But for some reason, he didn't believe it to be absolutely true. And so although he had access to the palace, he never ever left the basement. And I think that many times in our faith walk, a number of us never ever leave the basement. That God has died for us, and yet we still live under the old rule. We still live in the basement, taunted and tortured by the former life. Don't let Satan deter you back to the pig pen that you were delivered from. What would happen if you took the authority that God gave you rather than believing the lie? We have enough battles to fight. We don't need to fight the battle that Jesus has already won in our lives. Amen? So let me ask you, do you know who you are? Don't let Satan defeat you. The other one is this. The first one was the battle for uh, the, our affirmation. The second one, sorry, is, is the battle for our attention. One talks about family and where we are in our family. This one talks about 
focus. And there's some special things that Paul writes here that you really need to see. He says, set, that term set, and he uses two words, two things. He says, set your, in some versions it says affections. In, in this particular one, it says, set your heart. Set your heart on things above. And in verse 3, he says this, set your minds on things above. And the Holy Spirit, through Paul, says this through no accident. The affections are the passions that we have, the emotions, the, the things that, that, that kind of grow into us that are, that are so absolutely tremendous and they, they make us feel good and, they, and they, uh, they empower us. But he doesn't just say set your, your, your heart on it. He says set your mind. The literal translation there is thinking. Right? It's good to have a romantic view and love of God, but don't check your brain in at the door is what he's saying. That how you strategize and how you think is very important. And he says, you need to focus. It's an important thing to focus on the things of God. Both are equally important. If all you are doing is thinking with your heart, you become unbalanced. And so he says, so he says this, focus. It's important to focus. And this is a, a message for our time than like no other. Because there is no greater war for our attention than any other time in history. If your time was money, if every second was a dollar and you take a look at your day, what would be those things that you said, I absolutely wasted? I absolutely wasted my time with. I believe the greatest battlefront is the lines of prayer. And sometimes we say we are too busy to pray. You ever heard, remember that, 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 that statement says that the devil can't make you bad. He'll make you busy. There's truth to that. But I don't think that the battle of prayer is because of busyness so much. Maybe. I think it's because of distraction. You know, praying and seeking God doesn't interfere with my work time. Praying and seeking God interferes with my candy crush time. It interferes with my online Sudoku time. It interferes with my Facebook time. It, inter and it, it intercedes or it ruins my Twitter time, my, my texting, my messaging time, my Netflix time, my Disney Plus time. There's a battle for your attention that Satan has. Do you realize that that is there? People are deconstructing their faith, not because God hasn't been everything, but that our distraction has taken us away from the luster of our devotion to him. North American church is not losing the battle because evil is so bad. They're losing the battle is because we are content to live with the distraction while the devil robs us blind. You trade intimacy with the blind or with the divine with infatuation with the device. And when you do that, the, slow, the spirit slowly vacates your life, the relationship with Jesus becomes dull, your passion deflates. If you trade intimacy with the divine, with infatuation, with our devices, you draw from a well that runs dry. If you trade intimacy with the divine, with infatuation, with your device, you rob yourself of the blessing, fulfillment, and power, and you wonder why you don't feel God anymore. Have you ever considered the fact that your distractions is nothing more than a spiritual battle that Satan steals the best things from you from. The battle for our attention. 
the battle for our affection, the battle for our attention, the battle for our affiliation. You know something here about this passage, if you still have it there, kind of look at it. Now, some might argue with me here. But he's not really talking about setting your hearts and your minds on God. He says, set your hearts and your minds on things above. Really? What is the things above? He says, think about heaven. Realize that there is a place which is called heaven. That there is a future eternal destination that you need to be living for now. You need to understand that heaven is the thing that we need to set in our GPS. For those of us who have Google Maps, we need to have heaven in our GPS. And the biggest, the biggest thing that Satan will do is that he will put a location other than heaven in your GPS. Biggest dilemma in the North American church is the fact that we have stopped believing in heaven. Oh, that's not true. Well, your talk says that it's not true, but we walk around and we live our lives as though our heaven, our, our lives are ended at the time of our last heartbeat. And it's not true. And what happens is the internal processes of our thoughts, we really don't believe that heaven exists or the concept is so vague and we don't know everything about it. Or we share the, op- the, the, the attitude that I will deal with one world at a time. I will deal with this world while I'm on this world and that, and that what is happening in heaven and what happens now, there is no connection. I'll just deal with heaven when I get to heaven. The problem with that philosophy is it is absolutely untrue. Scripture talks about it all the time. Just read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. He says, you know, your works are going to be measured and there's going to be those who have gold and and silver and precious stones, but there's going to be those who are going to have wood, hay, stubble, and, and God's going to judge it with fire. He says, there are going to be a number of us who will make it to heaven, but just by the skin of our teeth. A terrible thought. A terrible thought of being, having to do that. Jesus and Paul says, when you think of heaven, you need to be shrewd. You need to be like a businessman. How you give, the giving of your time, your talents, uh, and, and your treasures. You can't take your money with you, but you can send it ahead. Jesus even says, you know what? Even a cup of cold water is noticed. Live as though heaven exists because it does. Live as though heaven exists because it does. The battle of affiliation is that Satan has convinced us that there is no eternal repercussion to our faith that we live here and now. Ask yourself, do I really believe in a place called heaven? A number of decades ago, a famous atheist, Voltaire, makes this statement. He said, if I believed that there was a place called hell, I would crawl on my hands and knees across France telling people about Jesus. That's what he said, an atheist. And that has been something which has, which has motivated Christians to realize that there is an eternity, not only for me, but for every person that I love. But let me, let me switch the thought. If I believed, really believed in a place called heaven, how would it change my life? 
You know, there have been times where I've heard people say, you know, if you're so heavenly minded, you can't be any earthly good. The actual opposite is true. That if I believe that there's a place called heaven and there's a place that I can invest in called heaven, it just makes me a nicer person. Makes me more optimistic. That the current problem that I'm going through now is not a permanent problem. That I got a new perspective. That I become a more generous person. That I utilize the times and talents and the treasures. That I become more engaged. That I want to let other people know that I don't want you to miss heaven for anything. And so there's a battle which is there where Satan will keep us from seeing the true reality of heaven. And so we take a look at this passage of scripture and it just seems like something simple. But there's a power in these four verses which says this. Jesus is in your heart. If you want to advance, realize that Satan wants to do everything to keep you. I think of that passage of scripture. That, that those who return, that, uh, sorry, what is it? Let's see the next, the next slide. That when you, that you will know which way to go, but since you have never been that way before, if you're in that place, one thing I want for 2023 is this, that God will set me ahead. Even if nobody else goes ahead, Father, I want to go ahead. And the only way that I go ahead is if I realize that even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of the challenge, you know the way to go. Had a, had a, I don't know if it was a prophetic word or anything. I always, always take great care in saying these things. Had a, as I was preparing the sermon, I just, was just kind of praying. I kind of got the thought of, of those families who have been in war and uh, all of a sudden their country is under attack and they are caused to abandon the city, the home that they live in. And, and uh, they think, okay, well, I'm going to go from the home once the battle is over. I'm going to come back and, and everything is going to be the way that it was before. And, and many times when they come back, because the war has gone on, they really don't have anything to come back to, that their house has been demolished and, and blown up or whatever. And I can't help but think, that some of us are kind of in that boat. That you sit on the beginning of a year and you're saying, I'm not too sure, God. I'm really not too sure. My encouragement is this. I think God wants to move you ahead no matter what your situation is. But you gotta know who you are. You need to focus on him. And heaven needs to be the destination. Amen? God, I just pray for each and every life, each and every heart that is here today. There might be some people who are so set in this that, that, that all my words were, were a reminder. But I also realize, God, that there are some of us who are just weak in our faith muscles. We've been hanging on for so long and there's still another stretch to go and we're not too sure if we have the energy to do it and God calls out to us today and says I know you've never been there but I have can you trust in me can you allow me to continue to be Lord of your life so that I can get you through whatever night you are in and allow my spirit to flow 
I just pray that upon each and every individual. I pray, Father, as we get into January and February and March, you will reveal yourself. I pray, Father, that you will show your power in our midst as a church, but in our midst as individuals, anybody who is listening online and they are feeling that challenge right now, that they need to see God and hold on to God despite the fact that they just don't see an end to the, the dark battle that they're going through, Father. That you know the way up, Father. We need to continue to trust in you. We need to continue to allow you to work in our lives. So we just give you our lives afresh and anew. So we start this year, Father. We start afresh and anew. Refocus us on your glory, Father. As we finish the 21 days of prayer, Father, let us remain focused on you, we pray. May you be high and lifted up, we ask. In Jesus' name.